the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is the last Sunday in the season of Epiphany. The season of Epiphany, as its name indicates, is a season of sudden revelation about the identity and the significance of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And today's reading on the Transfiguration is a really a pinnacle text about the revelation of Jesus' identity. But before we get there, let's just lay a foundation, uh, putting this uh, incredible story, this incredible uh, recollection of the transfiguration in the context of our gospel readings uh, that we have had over the last several weeks. Um, in other liturgical years, the gospel readings for Epiphany focus on the revelation of Jesus' identity in miraculous acts. It's the feeding of the 5,000, or Him walking on water, casting out demons, and so forth. But this year... Uh, we have been focusing on Jesus' teaching, uh, particularly His teaching within the Sermon on the Mount. And what we have been impressed by is not merely uh, the wisdom of Jesus' teaching, uh, though He is surely supremely wise, but what we have seen is the ruthlessness, the utter impossibility, and the inescapable hopelessness at the prospect of meeting the demands of the law of God. I mean, for all the wisdom and the kindness and the love of Jesus Christ, no one gets out alive in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Because Jesus lays lays us all bare when He says that it's not only exterior righteousness that counts, but interior righteousness as well. It's not just uh, being nice to those who are nice to us, Uh, But, in fact, it is loving and serving everyone, including those who hate us, and those whom we find reprehensible, and those who mistreat us, and those with whom we disagree. Righteousness isn't just simply uh, keeping our cool, but actually never experiencing, even in our secret heart, a welling up of hatred or lust or a desire to shift the truth a little, or on and on. And this section of the Sermon on the Mount that we have been going through ends with the admonition uh, that I believe we heard last week, you must be perfect, as your Father in Heaven is perfect. And in the face of such an impossible demand, our reaction is often to decide, well, it, it must not mean what it says. I mean, it must just be hyperbole. Because what we really need to do is we just need to keep uh, our anger down. We need to keep our lust in check. We need to tell the truth. Uh, We need to try avoid having any enemies so uh, that we don't have to love our enemies. Um, But you know, if a thief comes before a judge and says, you know, I know I have a problem with stealing, but i got to tell you, I have been working on it and I'm stealing a lot less lately. Um, you know, that judge might, might applaud the effort, but a just judge still has to uh, deal with the consequences for the crimes that were and continue to be uh, committed. And it's the same way with God. I mean, thanks for the effort, but uh, we still have to deal with the fact that you wanted to sit on the throne of your own heart. 
And Jesus is not being hyperbolic. He is simply describing what is necessary for us in order to enter into the eternal bliss and joy and acceptance of our Heavenly Father for which we were created. Just be perfect. From the moment of your conception to the moment of your death, just be perfect and you are in. I have said before in a sermon uh, that for the first several years uh, that I was a Christian, I did not like the idea of, of needing Christ's righteousness to cover me. Because I wanted to be righteous. I wanted uh, actually to be up, up to the task. And a little bit of further reflection, I realized that I had brought an assumption with me uh, from my life before Christ into my life with Christ. And that assumption was that reward and acceptance were dependent upon effort and accomplishment. I mean, that's the way it works in so many other arenas of our life. If you're a salesman and you would like to have uh, more success, more reward, then you uh, put some effort into it, you hone your technique, and then you uh, will be increasingly successful and you will be uh, rewarded accordingly. I wanted to be a good student, so I worked on my studies. Or I wanted to be a good employee, uh, so I did the things that I needed to do. I wanted to be a good friend, so I worked on those relationships. But now I wanted to be a good Christian. As a Christian, I knew that Jesus got me in the door with God. But I assumed that it was my job to stay in His favor. And so I worked on my technique. And I expected success and reward. The problem was that I kept trying to produce light, but I kept finding darkness. Which is to say that I try as I might to eliminate lust, what I really only succeeded in creating was more guilt for the lust that I felt. Or try as I I might to be less angry, I was only successful in stuffing it until it really erupted. I kept trying to produce light... But I kept finding darkness. I kept trying to manufacture a hope, but I kept finding despair. And then as a Christian, throwing a healthy dose of self-righteousness and judgment of others, because at least I was the one trying, right? I would hear lots of well-intentioned sermons and talks telling me to be better and try harder and to let my light shine in a dark world. And I would try harder to be better. Because as a Christian, I really did want my light to shine. And I kept wondering, what was wrong with me? Because I came increasingly aware and increasingly in despair that there was no light within me, only darkness. And with that came an increasing awareness that the pressure I felt to portray... What I felt the pressure to portray externally as a model of Christian virtue didn't match what I knew was true internally. See, the Bible has a word for people like that. It's Pharisee. I don't know whether or not you felt that tension uh, before. And I couldn't have articulated it then. But what was happening was that I was being crushed under the demands of the law. Because I knew that I could not be perfect as my Heavenly Father was perfect. 
And thanks be to God, I was running out of options. And that brings us to today's gospel reading. So Peter and James and John were on a men's hike with Jesus. That's what the really good Christian men do. And, um, and so they get to the top of the mountain and Jesus starts shining. I mean, literally. His face, his hands, his hair, even his clothes. This just resplendent brilliance. It's brighter than the shining sun. And yet, for, somehow they didn't have to shield their eyes. And then this bizarre scene got even more bizarre when Moses and Elijah show up. The, the giver of God's law and the supreme prophet, icons of the Hebrew faith that had been gone from the earth 1,500 and 950 years respectively. Then, the voice of the Father speaks of Jesus the Son in the cloud of the Spirit and says, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. In other words, Jesus fulfills and surpasses both the law and the prophets. Now you remember that Moses had shown on a mountain once too and when God had given him the Ten Commandments. And he came down and his skin was glowing and he had to wear a veil because the people were afraid. But it wasn't, he wasn't shining from himself. It was sort of a spray tan of God's glory on him. He, but Jesus, uh, on the, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, he wasn't reflecting God's glory. What he was showing is that he is God's glory. This, this episode on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration was a peek behind the curtain. It was a, a momentary glimpse, a, sort of like, like through a keyhole, of Jesus' unfettered glory, the King of kings in all His heavenly majesty and splendor. Now, a few days before, uh, Peter had correctly answered Jesus' question, Who do you say that I am? When he had said to Jesus, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But it quickly became evident that Peter didn't really fully understand what that meant. And here, Jesus is filling that out. He is revealing His identity in His divinity. God the Son. Jesus was no mere teacher, no simple saint. He is God the Son. Which means the law that Moses was given was written by Jesus in order to reflect His own character and nature. The miraculous and prophetic powers that Elijah demonstrated were authored and distributed to him by Jesus as a witness to His own reign. God the Son, now here on the mount, shining in resplendent and glorious beauty, right there on the mountain. Here He is, listen to Him. And what this means is that Jesus is the only one who is qualified to demand that we be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And Jesus is the only one who is qualified to deliver us from our inability to fulfill that perfection. The disciples fell down in this confused terror, and rightly so. They realized they're in the presence of God. They had looked Him square in the face in all His glory, and they knew their Bible well enough to know that now they were going to die. 
Imperfect sinners in the presence of a perfect God. But Jesus comes and says, rise and have no fear. Because Jesus knew that He was going to die in their place. The one who shone there on the mountain would take their darkness and give them the light of His own righteousness. And this same resplendent Jesus looks into our despair and in our, into our ability, inability to measure up, into our dichotomy between the exterior and the interior. And He speaks those same words. Friend, rise and have no fear. He makes that same exchange with you and me, taking our darkness, imputing it to Himself, and giving us the light of His righteousness imputed uh, to us. So what does this mean for you and me? Well, it means that I got my assumption wrong. That acceptance and reward from God are not dependent upon our effort and our accomplishment, but solely on the grace of God the Son, bridging the gap, taking not just our sin and darkness, but our pressure to perform. For the very same reason, it doesn't do a lot of good to tell a dead person to get up and walk. It doesn't do a lot of good to tell sinners to be good, to try harder, and to sing this little light of mine. If we miss the all-important fact of God's strong and tender grace to weary and despairing sinners. So we can boldly offer to Him our sins and our hurts and our self-salvation projects. We can rise in the bright freedom of God the Son and have no fear. Thanks be to God. Amen.